It's July 9th, 2020. This is Rook. an iconoclast is to undo the expectations and cherished ideas of historical beliefs and institutions. And is there anything more iconoclastic for an Iranian than to take traditional ideas of men and masculinity from the Qajar era to today and undo them, alter them, expose them, or reimagine them? Visual artist Ebrin Bagheri is fast making a name for his provocative and self-referencing pieces that are capturing the attention of many in the art world. Ebrin grew up in Iran, moved to Canada, and turned ballpoint doodles into gallery gold. He joins me for our feature conversation, plus the Rook Roundtable convenes all live in our studio. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. there. Welcome to episode number 25 of Rook. Bienvenue. Welcome. Khosh omadin. Hi, Shaya. Salam azizah. Bistopanj, 25. Yeah, yeah. What's happening? <laughs> it was, uh, it, it seems like only only yesterday. It was a little yes, baby. Yes, And now it's a still a baby. Tod- toddlering. To- almost a toddler. Toddler. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. A growing baby. Yeah. A big episode of Rook we have here. We've got uh, our Rook Roundtable convening uh, in a little while um, with uh, Captain Reza, Groovy Shaya, Keon is here. And we're going to be joined by Nilu Farqurashi, a writer and blogger who will be with us for our Rook Roundtable as well, as well as uh, Letters with Keon, Letters of the Week. We've got that. Oh, that's my... Is that your phone? That's not my phone. Uh, <laughs> that's my computer that I brought oh. in. Yeah, sorry. No. But anyway, see, even the computer's excited. It's agreeing <laughs> yeah. that this uh, episode 25. 25. Um, let me get straight to We actually have our guest in studio yes. right yes. now for the first time. So let me get to him. Uh, perhaps let me turn this off I'll I'll turn this off first sorry so perhaps it was the soft velvety tones of the romantics and the wisdom inside their works that earned pre-modern Persian poetry the enduring awe and admiration of many around the world including the likes of Goethe Emerson Nietzsche and Queen Victoria But underneath the silk cloak of its poetic beauty, its romantic design, its mysticism, there's also an overt articulation of homoerotic love that remains one of the more striking elements of Persian poetry, a notion that was neither rare nor unusual, as many would say that works by celebrated Persian poets dating back to the 13th century explicitly announced their homosexual love and affection. The marriage of Persian art and poetry emerged with the masterworks of Ferdowsi and Nezami, which were so transcendental and sublime that artists thought they ought to keep up with the grandeur of the poems and use symbolism and allegory to capture the images created by the words. 
Well, our guest today is Ebrine Balgheri, a much-touted young visual artist who draws references from Persian poetry to deconstruct the traditional concept of masculinity and gender norms of the Iranian man. Ebrine grew up in Iran, moved to Canada, where he got his master's in fine arts. He has been a part of multiple group shows, as well as solo exhibitions, including the Finding Love exhibition, Art de Gallery Tehran 2020, one-of-a-kind show, Paint at the John B. Arad Gallery, Vitrine sur l'art, and the Art of Rendering Gender in Montreal in 2018, to name just a few. Most recently, many of his works are featured in the brand new book entitled Ballpoint Art, Complexity from Simplicity, which was just published by Sandu Publishing. And right now, Ebrin Bakari joins me in the Rook Studio in Toronto. Hello, sir. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, you, you, you are our first in-person guest. Oh, what <laughs> it's very honor. exciting for us. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's usually me talking into a microphone and somebody in my headphones who's on the phone. So thank you so much for coming in. My it's, pleasure. It's, a, uh, it's an honor. I, you know, I know you and uh, I've been to a couple of your exhibitions. Uh, so you're just Ebreen to me. But in planning for this interview, it occurred to me that I've never met another Ebreen. So where does your name come from? Well, every in Farsi means bemesle uh, abr. It's like a like a cloud. Oh. But I think over the time, the way of uh, verbalizing the word, it came to ebrin um, from abrin. Ah. By the time, it's a very rare name. I I have never heard. Have you ever met another ebrin? No, no. So you're you so you're named after a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So, Ebrin, this this past week was the opening of the 59th annual Toronto Outdoors Festival, which was launched online, obviously due to COVID. Um, you're exhibiting ten paintings in the fair. I guess the the new reality is that uh, everything is online. How do you feel about an online exhibition of your work? Um, so far, it's been a great and positive uh, feedback to me. So a lot of people are not, I mean, a lot of people, they don't live in, in Toronto. So they have not, they're not able to come and visit the artwork right face to face. So they are able now to see it online. Uh, it is also a new form of presenting artwork through the social media, through the website, and let's, say there are many new audience why were you i mean obviously it seems uh inexpensive practical you know but uh, and you've made this masterful use of of ballpoint as an art medium and this and you've got this innovative and unusual technique of uh, in your paintings and your in your work uh, but why did you choose ballpoint as a medium ballpoint pen is a very very delicate and interesting mediums um i think it comes for from uh my teenage years or uh, doodling in a school while teacher is you know, teaching in school you want to pass the time you just have the doodling in your book corner of your you don't have to have the whole medium or being in studio it's very easy access uh, medium also uh, it kind of gives me the feeling of when you, it's a medium of isolation and loneliness, I would say. So when you are by yourself in this corner spot or whatever, so you just start to do the doodling, no matter if you're an artist or not. So once you start doodling, you go to deeper, you know, you, you just 
it, it doesn't mean anything. Just a line. And it's less link. formalized than it pulling is. out a, a brush and your paints and, and okay, now I'm, my, I'm yeah. an artist at work. Yeah. But surely these, when you, your works are not created by doodling in the corner and you're in your off time while Game of Thrones is playing or <laughs> something, right? Uh, are they? I think it comes from that. I think it comes from the moment. Maybe I've been doing that for a very long time. Maybe in my teenage years, or maybe when I was like 12, I, 13, I used to doodle a lot. So f uh, for me, ballpoint pen is the whole connection between my observation, my uh, hand, my imagination, all the all of them, the, the mechanism are working all together in the same time when I use the ballpoint pen. Hmm. And uh, again, I'm always interested in that divide between the traditional uh, and the progressive thinking in different genres of art. So in terms of visual art, I have to imagine that there are some artistic chauvinists who would think that ballpoint isn't real art somehow or, you know, is not worthy of the Louvre or something. Is that true? That is very true because in uh, generally speaking, in our society, Mm, a lot of people, it's it's very Renaissance-dominant society. A lot of people compare the artwork by Renaissance or by Picasso, or it has to be very completed red, blue, green, colorish <laughs> uh, art, art piece that they consider it art. So a lot of people, they tell me, oh, this is, this is not art. Well, it's just a drawing. But they th they say that to your face, yeah. Or they yeah. say it they, they uh, have, in trolling you online. Well, in my face and online. Really? Yeah. Somebody would say to you, "This is an art." Um, not in that harsh way that I'm saying, but the 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 message their right, message right. Impl implies that. Um, whatever I'm doing, I'm having in public eyes, so I'm representing something from my uh, deepest, pr the most private of my imagination part I'm representing to the public. So I'm not expecting everybody love my work. Some people, they don't connect to my work, right? Have you ever, I'm gonna pick up on those dark things that you bring out in your art, but have you ever felt like there's a, there's a famous expression or, or, or a moniker that some a lot of artists feel, I've certainly felt it in various ways as a musician over the years, imposter syndrome, where you just think, I'm not the real deal. Somebody, <laughs> Somebody's gonna find out that I'm not really, I can't really play drums very well, or I'm not a good enough singer or something like that. Uh, do you, have you ever felt like that? In other words, when somebody says to you, ballpoint come on that's not you know you're you're no matisse do you does part of you go am i am i an artist mm, I? I always trusted myself so i never compare myself to a master artist or any other artist i just wanted to be me myself and yeah i never doubted myself to be very honest well that's a perfect segue because you can't have that kind of confidence without that coming from you in childhood and um I have to say, I mean, uh, I want to get into this, to your story and in particular your art, but why are you such a mystery? <laughs> I, in, in any interview I've found of you or even descriptions of you, there's you don't much talk about your childhood or Iran. Um, and it, it's surely a way that, I mean, you've mentioned now doodling in your teenage years, so I'm on to you. But um, uh, if you if you can talk about it, how would you characterize your childhood in Iran? What what made this confident boy who feels like his, his doodles can become art and become the success you have? 
that's very interesting point. I don't need to talk about it. So all my works are open books. So when people <laughs> see, they can analyze how I come from, how did I land to this mysterious artworks, right? So when you look at my work, you can see these are the results of so many years of practices, so many years of uh, accumulation of emotions up and down. So I think more my works talks about it more than I use the word. What, were you a teenager when you left Iran? Uh, I was about 1920. 1920. And why did you leave? Did um, you? But just for school. Just to want it. Yeah. Did you always want to, to come to Canada? You, did you come straight to Canada? Yeah. Uh-huh. And did you always want to come to Canada? Uh, yeah, Canada was, was my destination. And do you, do you miss being Iran, in Iran? Uh, not so much. <laughs> okay. I like to go travel there, but I don't think I would like to live there for a long time. Do you, do you, uh, one, one thing I am curious about is whether you feel like the kind of art that you make or you as an artist could be the same artist if you were in Iran or if leaving Iran facilitated you becoming the artist that you've become? That's the thing though. Um, I think any artist in the world, based on the situation they have, if you're a true artist, you can make the best of that situation. Mm. If you are living under the censorship, censorship necessarily is not a bad thing because it can give you a creativity, right? If I'm not talking, if I'm not allowed to have a bite of apple, <laughs> or you know talk about apple somehow i'm gonna make the apple appear in my art so that's the thing though um you know why yeah. i'm smiling right now why <laughs> because uh I, I don't think you remember this i remember do you yeah, we were yes. at a party <laughs> <laughs> we were at this gathering a year and a half ago or something and you said that to me you said censorship's not always a bad thing and i thought man one day i gotta <laughs> interview this guy and ask him what he means by that because that's an extraordinary statement, especially from an artist. Yeah. So just explore that with me for a second. For sure. So you're saying that if there's parameters put on you as an artist, that will actually uh, inspire you more so to want to avoid the, uh, to, to, to want to explore taboo things or, 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 or go where you're not supposed to? For sure. Because as an artist, well, every individual artist is different, right? To me, if I'm not allowed to do create any specific art about any subject matter, so that actually makes me more curious to talk about it. And I will find a discreet way to talk about it. So it will give more dimension and more uh, depth to, to the work. But surely censorship can be confining. I mean, even on this show, we've talked to someone like Batman Farman Ara who couldn't make a film for 10 years because he kept on submitting films and the authorities would say, no, we don't like this scene in it. We're not going to let this be. We don't think that's a good thing, do we? No, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. But also, it was his choice to not making any movie. But any artist, they can make a decision and make a little bit of make it a little bit mysterious. Subversive. You do yeah. something in a way that, that gets it through. I mean, he you also can, does that. You can trick them. Right. But do you think you would function better if, uh, under censorship? I mean, isn't the fact that you've said that you're, you wouldn't be the artist you are today if you weren't in the West, isn't that a testament to the idea that you don't want to be in a place where there's censorship? Well, I have more freedom of speaking and of a speech here, and I definitely I appreciate that. Okay. But if, I, if it wasn't me here, and if I was 
Ibrin was living in Iran, I'm sure as an artist and a creative artist, I had created more work similar to this what I'm working today. Interesting. That's so interesting. I want to I, I, I wanna explore that further. Uh, let me get into your works because um, I want to talk about a series called Eastern Desires. This, this was from 2014 to 2017. And you depict Iranian men with visual motifs reminiscent of the Qajar dynasty in intimate settings, at times uh, you know, evocative of uh, hammams and bathhouses, that fluctuate between being contemporary subjects and, and archival source material, referencing old Iran. But the masculinity of these subjects is unlike the traditional depictions of, of the Iranian men. So, so why Iranian men from the Qajar period and why this unconventional take on the portrayal of masculinity? Well, first of all, my work is all about a mystery. It's not that obvious. When you look at my work, it's, it won't give you any clue or any key. So it actually engages you to think more and question more. A lot of masculinity that's been represented to through men's in patriarchal society in Iran are kind of display of masculinity. They just want to show that masculinity. Right. You know what I mean? So inside, they're not that masculine. That I mean, the term of masculine is sure. really subjective yes, itself. Yes. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to raise a question. Why this is somehow is not working? If they're very masculine, and why are they having a... F- a feather or having a crown yes. or you know what I mean? I just wanted to create a sense of paradox in, in the work. The, the whole idea of feminine and masculine is socially constructed. The people are just people. I love what you're doing because you mess with with some of um, what we traditionally expect. So some of your drawings also have elements reminiscent of Persian miniatures uh, in all of their intricacies. But you add a visual history of, of same-sex desire in those miniatures. And in an interview with Shahvan, Debrin, you said, uh, the Persian miniature painting is quite heterosexual. It's full of images of Lelis and Majnoons, men and women drinking wine or making out. Are you trying to forge links between figures from traditional Persian miniatures and the contemporary realities of gender and desire? Do you know what you, you said? You said it very nicely. And this is really interesting subject matter I would, I would like to talk about. When, you look, when we look at the Persian miniature, we see very uh, uh, heaven-looking uh, very romantic, unreal situation. Idyllic. Uh, yeah, uh, very yes. idyllic situation that we see. In literature, we don't we don't have that. I mean, in literature, um, as many people say, there's are more uh, homosexuality, homosexuality desires. So there are there are a bit more open to talk about it. Has it been disappointing to you that the history of vi- Persian visual art? doesn't have that same nuance that the that the poetry or that the literature does? Not really, to be very honest. I think we have to look back at their time and at the time they might not, were not able to, maybe the censorship also was not letting them to do whatever they wanted to do. So that's why they had the men a little bit more, more feminine right, in terms right. of being masculine. And that's beautiful because of the paradox. everything's beautiful paradox censorship there's you you'll find a good way to 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 see these things you know one of the things that when we look at your art we very often i very often see you you know you you your work 
is and you work on it on the on the form of self-portrait uh albeit with a very rich mix of gender age time culture um imaginary characters from a, a little girl to a to a white swan but there's this ebrin in all of them that's true why um well Let's say all of my works are imaginary, so I don't have a model, so I don't have a reference. Whatever it comes to my mind, it comes to my mind. It comes, it comes from Ebrin's mind, from the private part of my mind, from my imagination. Nobody has ever seen them. So it's a very specific, untouched moment of my imagination that I'm representing. Of course, it's, it's because it comes from my mind, it's me. When does the moment of imagination happen? In other words, do you do you dream a seahorse and then say, oh, I've got to draw this? Or do you start drawing and a seahorse emerges? That's that's a, that's a beauty of ballpoint pen. As soon as I have the ballpoint pen in my, in my hand, I improvise. So all the imagination comes to me. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the state of my imagination. So you don't have a map? Oh, no, no, I don't. It's all improvisation. It's all 100%. Wow. Yeah. So the cherries that you see, this all, I've decided to add some cherries. If you see the bird, I, I decided to add some birds. Yeah, this is um, in the series, someone who is, n is like no one, um, which seems to be a, another critique between, uh, of the binaries between public and private culture, like akin to visibility sure. and invisibility. You paint these non-traditional portraits of men again, wearing cherry dangle earrings uh, or holding a rooster. And I wondered what, what do the cherries and the roosters symbolize or, or why the fascination with them? If we, look at, if we look at Francis Bacon's artwork, so his artwork makes people a little bit uncomfortable when you look at them. It's because it's raw, deep. Remind me what the Francis Bacon uh, artwork is. Fra well, he has a raw meat and he has the, the knives or okay. it, it, it's something that you, you don't look at. It. It's a little bit harsh. Okay. My work is not really harsh, but it actually makes a lot of people uncomfortable when mm -hmm. they see a man is wearing a cherry in it's unexpected so in my mind i actually enjoy to making people think and a little bit uncomfortable when you look at the work because my work is not uh statically pleasing so i'm not trying to aesthetically please my audience well wait a second if you have a purpose, then it's different from just things coming out improvisationally through imagination, isn't it? Well, I have a Because then you have an intent. I have a concept. You do have a concept. I do have a concept. So you don't just start drawing and go, oh my God, it's a little girl with the ebrin face. Um, you, you, you think, I want to do a little girl. I have a plan of speaking about something that hasn't been talked that much. And I, when I start my medium, when I have all my mediums around, around me, I start, I start to work. Does it have to be taboo? Would you be bored if you just drew a tree? No, well, I don't do trees, <laughs> but <laughs> I would be bored if I do trees. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm a figurative and portraiture artist. Right, okay, sorry. <laughs> I mean, what about, what about every walking into a Costco? I mean, <laughs> you know. But I get inspiration a lot of my, uh, through my surrounding. So, any people I see, um, children, pregnant mm. women, animals, pets, flowers, every, anything I see, I get inspiration by them. You know, I don't know if this is a trick. In other words, if you have a whole bunch of uh, 
artwork somewhere and and you you make it look this way but it seems by following you in social media that you're quite prolific like you you pump this stuff out you you're able to draw uh, a lot quite quickly um there are artists as you know who go through periods of months years where they can't write something or draw something or uh and then may have a very fertile period are you as prolific as you seem? Can you oh, are you just constantly much, creating? Very much. I am highly addictive to to painting, drawing and painting. A lot of times I don't go cook. I, I don't I don't leave my studio. I just spend there hours and hours and hours and go sleep and wake up. I do that for eight, nine hours straight. Uh and and does anything ever in this improvisational style? Do you ever finish something and um, find yourself surprised at your own work? Um, um, I'm very confident in my work, and I support my work, whatever. Uh, and you know, I I support my work, but a lot of time when I look at look back back at my work, I don't admire my work. I see my mistakes, and I see a lot of opportunities that I could work on it. So that's it. That's the beauty of growing in art. So I don't finish a work and just look at it and admire my work. No, I don't do that. But yeah, a lot of times I'm surprised by how far I went into my imagination. Tell me about this uh, this drawing of uh, Queen Farah Farah Pahlavi because. Uh, in and amongst all the paintings of we've seen of Ebrin, um, there's Farah wearing the crown and the mantle during her coronation ceremony. And again, given that most of your works are, are self-portraits or, or imaginary characters, tell me about the inspiration behind wanting to draw this portrait of Farah Pahlavi. Um, I always wanted to do a portrait of very important people that affected me in my life, like Farooq Farooq like... Uh, Mehdi Akhavan Salis, like Shahbanu Farah Pahlavi, because she was an absolutely amazing figure in our community. She was she introduced a lot of Iranian artists to the Western society. A lot of she gathered a lot of the best uh, contemporary and modern art in Museum of Tehran. She worked a lot and she did amazing in terms of improving our culture. And I'm always thankful for that. By the way, if you're listening to this on an audio-only uh, platform, on, on SoundCloud or Spotify or iTunes, on our YouTube right now, uh, as you listen to this, we're, we, we've got the pictures of these uh, uh, of uh, some of these artworks. We know it's okay to put the pictures up because you don't have to be standing in front of it right in person to understand it, right? Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> We, we've taken them straight from Evren's Instagram and put them, put them on for you to see. So uh, in your paintings, you seem to, I'm not the best person to be reading Farsi, so the, I've been told this, that that you are mocking Farsi and or Arabic calligraphy that uh, bear a resemblance to script, but they're sort of nonsen nonsensical imitations. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Uh, is sure. this decorative, or is there a, an, an, another intent behind um, this? No, it, was, it wasn't only decorative. It was, um, well, I'm not able to understand Arabic. I'm able to read the alphabets, but I don't know what that's mm -hmm. the meaning behind mm -hmm. it. So that's, that was the moment that I decided to add 
a nonsense Arabic alphabet on the back of my portraits to create the sense that sometimes we connected or we are attached, attached, not connect, we are attached to something that it doesn't mean anything to us, but we already attached to it. It sounds like listening to you, you have a, a difficult relationship with Persian culture, a love for it, but some misgivings about things that you feel have been imposed on us through Persian culture. Would that be correct? Um, not, not necessarily. I, okay. love, I love Persian culture. I, I mean, I love paradox. And the paradox, the Persian culture comes out of the paradox. So I think that was the Persian culture has been really inspirational to me and taught me to think more and create a deeper artworks. But you like the idea of messing with it too. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I grew up in so Iran. So you, you love it, but you don't feel like you have to uh, put it on a pedestal uh, and and leave it untouched. Uh, well, let's say something. So I grew up in Iran. In Iran, the, the where did you grow up, by the way? In Iran, can you Tehran? Take, Tehran. Okay. So yeah. let's say in in Tehran, the whole situation inside, the whole culture inside and outside is different. In in your house, you're more comfortable, but outside of the society, you have to follow uh, strict rules. Yes. In Iran, we always have to wear masks. Not the, the COVID <laughs> now you have mask. to wear a mask. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, and is there something that you like about that, Mister? Uh, I find interesting interest in censorship, etc. Is there something about the the inside and outside house uh, disconnect that you that you appreciate, or is mm. it all, is that all negative? That's the thing, though. As an artist, I think I always find the best of the situation to help my creativity. I think to me. It was somehow when I when I think and I will look back, it was not too too bad. It was interesting for me. Hmm. You know, Ebrin, in the body of your work, we we've as we've discussed, we see the concept of uh, masculinity, alluding to historical notions of of pre modern desire and uh, and the alternative contemporary gender norms, but we never see the act of sex. Is mm -hmm. there a reason you d you don't go so far as de depicting er erotic scenes? Um, both my works are not about. That's a thing, though. So, if you look at my work, they're suggestive. They're not obviously homosexuals. They're not. They're not two men together in a in a sexual act, right? So just two men standing next to each other or a man holding a rooster. So for me, I just wanted to create a moment of my audience to think, well, what their sexuality is not that important. Mm -hmm. They're important as a, as a human. So that's why I just wanted to take the sexuality out of it, not making it all about their sexuality. Gotcha. Would it be too, too easy almost? Too easy. Right. Listen, I want to end off asking you about where, about what this is all about for you. I, I, I happen to know uh, a pretty well-known art gallery owner in Canada. Uh, I'm not sure if he wants this, this statement to be public or not, but he says he thinks you're going to be one of the huge future superstar artists in, in, in the coming decades globally, um, which has got to be nice to hear. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate it. But is that what you want? I mean, what is 
what is this about for you? What is your and and give me rock? I mean, if you yeah, if it's course. about making a lot of money, say it. You know, what is your greatest ambition with this art? I never I never intended to make business out of my art. My art is something that honest, honest, and also I would like to move something from uh, plan A. Uh, dot A to dot B. So just want to have a movement in art. So I don't think of, I'm, I don't plan on being successful in art. I'm just doing, I'm just being myself. It's not business for you. It's not business for me. I just, I'm, I'm just doing whatever I love. So if somebody likes one of your pieces and they say, <laughs> <laughs> sure, can you just give it that to me? It's not business. <laughs> yes. Why not? Oh. I know what work you like though. You do? Yeah. I, I, the, the, I know. the dog one. Yes. This. Yes. I love the dog one. Uh, Evan John, it's, it's been a, a pleasure having you here. Uh, thank our you. first in studio interview. What an honor. Uh, thank you for doing this. Continue your, your great works. Thank uh, you. And uh, uh, thanks for making the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me and your lovely team. It was amazing to be with you guys. Ebrim Bagheri, an Iranian-Canadian artist. His works are featured in a new book called Ballpoint Art, Complexity from Simplicity. Ebrim joined me here in the Rook studio in Toronto today. has left our Rook studio and we have our team coming in convening our Rook round table Groovy Shia is of course in position hi Groovy Shia hello hi. Captain Reza with us still hello yes <laughs> hello Captain Reza uh, you guys are sharing a microphone over there yeah We're, that's that's because we've got in studio Keon is here hi Keon hi Jean uh, and we've got letters with Keon coming up and joining us as well today on the other microphone uh, writer and blogger Nilu Farqurashi she writes for the Persian Canadian digital magazine Titra. Welcome, Nilu. Hi, Gian. Thank you for having me. It's a N pleasure to be here. Nice to have you as part of this uh, Rook Roundtable. So you guys have all been listening to that uh, uh, little interview with Ebreen. Uh, what did that chat with Ebreen bring out for you? Reza? Um, very interesting interview to begin with, but um, I take issue with a couple of things that uh, he said. Um, I mean, it may have been the way he said it, he meant something else, but when he said censorship is not necessarily a bad thing, I think what he was, I hope, what he was trying to say was limitation in, in, in the creative process is not necessarily a bad thing. And that's true, uh, because it, 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 it kind of narrows down your options in terms of the elements that you're working with, so you can get more creative and achieve the, whatever the goal may be, faster. I've been there. However, Censorship is definitely a bad thing. It's not a good thing, in my opinion, um, because your art can be completed and still be censored. And just to put this in the context, you're a, a filmmaker and actor as well who left Iran, presumably partly because you didn't think you could do the kind of work you want to do while you were in Iran, right? Partly, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like he was saying something along the lines of... Uh, in repressive societies or when there are those boundaries or parameters uh, put on people, uh, 
really interesting and subversive art can emerge out of that. I think that's what he was getting at. But uh, obviously, it's a sensitive issue because mm. we've had few a few guests coming on talking about uh, how much they abhor the censorship in Iran. So it was a very interesting take. Yeah. Uh, Nilu, what did you think? There was so much, uh, so much in what he said that hit home for me because. I mean, the whole concept of homosexuality is very taboo in Persian culture. And having someone in my family, in my immediate family, who's queer, to be exact, I mean, I know the challenges, I know the oppression. Um, I mean, my family's been open and progressive, um, but I can see what he was expressing in his art. Like looking at his art, he's really trying to express the essence of having two flames, both feminine and masculine uh, traits, as well as desires or interests. The essence of being non-binary, non, um, you know, not falling in that definition of being man or woman in an art. Um, sort of being a hybrid of the two and celebrating it. It really seems to me that he has celebrated that in his art. Hmm. Um, Chaya, what did you uh, what, what did you make of uh, Abreen? I could say I just left Iran, and um, censorship in in several ways. Yes, it helps you to be more creative. But when they don't, when censorship don't allow you to release and present your work that's not acceptable at all you say that as an, as an artist as well who yes. who's left around. by the way um you uh do you did you have a reverb on your microphone it sounds like you've put like a bowie effect <laughs> on your microphone the rest <laughs> no, of us just have microphones you no, have the like the reason a, is that actually the uh, monitors here are oh, oh okay okay that's fine that's fine <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were <laughs> well, let me just put some uh stadium sound on my voice um, Nilu, you didn't speak to the Reza brings up the, the, the question of censorship. What did you think of uh, of Ebrin's position on that? I mean, when he was talking about the apple and not being able to taste it and it makes you wonder and whatnot, like I immediately thought about the forbidden fruit, you know, like you it creates this this imagination, this space to want to think or create or express. Because sometimes limitate, I mean, think about it. If there's a brick wall in front of you, uh, sometimes that inspires you to find ways to go over it, right? And I feel like um, his, his personal limitations inspired him to go out of the box and create something cultural, something uh, historical, something... Uh, social, something new, celebration. I mean, there's fire in what he does. Um, and he, it's not just art. It's very expressive. Uh, he's trying to express something that is not easily accepted or expressed. And I think that's what makes him unique. That's what makes him successful. Unfortunately, or, you know, I, I don't think there's any fortune to it. The Iranian culture is a culture of uh, limitations. Uh, censorship uh, borders. The culture is, or the, uh, um, the or the the, the, this, the nation state is. It's interesting yeah, if we say the culture is. Yeah, yeah. It might actually be in a sense. This sounds like the kind of thing that we have to do a full episode on. It's interesting that uh, you're you're opening up some stuff that we might want to follow up on. I'm in love with his art. 
uh, I like I, his art. I think his art, it inspires me in all kinds of ways. And it's unlike anything that uh, I've seen. And when I said in the interview, by the way, that, you know, I could tell right away it's an Abreen. Uh, that's not, I'm not an art expert. I mean, I, I love visual art. I go to some art galleries. I go to museums. For me to be able to, to identify very quickly after I'd seen a couple of his exhibitions, anytime I see one, I go, that's an Abreen. I, I think that's a testament to his his unique style. Keon, what did... Uh, what did that conversation I, I bring up for you? you. I, I think his art is really unique and it's making a statement. And to be honest, I felt like he was holding back a lot. There, just looking at his art, you can see that he's trying to make a very like distinct statement. And I was hoping to hear his perspective on that. And I, I didn't get that from that interview. Well, he said he likes mystery. So and he he's, and he is quite mysterious. <laughs> he's allowed. He's allowed to. Yeah, no, he is, and that's another thing because I find his character very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, empowering, and expressive. I I want to know more about him. I yeah. want to learn more about him. But he was he was very reserved yeah. uh, in terms of talking about himself. So mm-hmm. I guess we just gotta find. Yeah, it I've seen. I've watched a couple of interviews with him before we did this one, and he's um yeah. I think he's he's committed to the the notion of mystery and letting his art speak, and I I respect that. One thing I will say that really stood out for me is is um and and I'm I'm sort of jealous of uh, Ebrin about this, and I see this through line in a couple of ways with a couple of the recent guests we've had. Um, so we had Faye Arjamandi earlier this week. A tremendous story, tremendous success in the tech world as a CEO now coming out of Silicon Valley. We had Chef Hoss Zare, also uh, kind of a heavy story coming out of Iran. And then he devotes himself to cooking and becomes this, uh, uh, this well-known chef of acclaim and now the executive chef at Google. The one thing that they all have in common with Abreen as well is I, 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 I was listening to him and thinking, you're so lucky because seemingly at least, you know exactly what you love. You lo- in, in Abreen's case, it's, it's drawing and painting and you're doing what you love. And Faye Arjamandi said something that I think is like transformative, you know, although simple, but in our last episode where she said she sees her what she's doing before going into a place of self-criticism, she just does what she would want. She is, the supply and demand is within her. I have a demand for this, I'm gonna create it, I'm gonna do it. And Ebrin seems to be making the art that he likes. He's making art that he likes, even though he's got the the, the, the modesty of an artist who said, I'm critical of my works, I look back at it, and I'm, which is natural. But I just think that is such a gift. Same with Hoss Zare, who's like, I'm a chef, I want to be a chef. This is, I'm doing what I love. And you see how immersed into it he, he is. And I think the challenge for a lot of people in life, let alone Iranians, is, is um, what am I going to do with my life? And none of these people, well, I guess Faye did go to school as an engineer, but none of them are in traditional Persian stratified you know, careers either, right? They're all doing something different that they love and all achieving success in it. To me, that's inspiring, but also kind of lucky uh, mm. it's it, it, to know what you want know what you love Nilu? I actually love his authenticity in his art and what he's trying to bring out and what he's trying to celebrate um, being an Iranian artist that it's not it's not easy the colors that he uses like for instance with the rooster or the cherry earrings or like the stilettos or uh, sandals and those um, Qajar drawings they're all like bright, they're red, like there's a celebration going on. There is something proud and something fresh and something authentic and different. 
and you can see his passion and and it's amazing it's amazing what freedom does eh it's amazing what liberation does when you're given the space to follow your dream mm, unless you uh, believe in censorship yeah, because it brings out creativity <laughs> uh, okay uh, Keon, you want to talk about no, the, was, the confidence I was just going to say I think he used the wrong word he used censorship he meant parameters like yeah parameters against I don't his know art. I think Ebrine knows censorship, exactly what works that's he, words such a he's harsh using word. yeah do you know what you, Shia you, you're looking at me what do you what do you what do you want to say um, actually I want to ask a question about the thing that you said about Faye, Haas, Ebrin, and yes, yeah, to love what uh, you do. In my opinion, I think it's uh, it's myth to uh, to find something to do and love to do it forever. You know, that's I a think myth. Yes, <laughs> it's it's always it's always you know. Um, you have to be free, you know. I mean, uh, you have to be always open to what happened in to your uh, life. And the thing, actually, the uh, the thing that is common between those people is love to create something, not to love to paint or to love to. That's true, but I, I I don't know why you're saying that that's a myth. I mean, why why is it is it is it not possible that no, Michael you know, Jordan grew up loving basketball and devoting his life to basketball, and that's exactly what he's done, and he's lucky because he's been able to do that. I mean, why is that a myth? Mm. <laughs> but that can evolve. I guess I kind of see Shia's point in that. Um, however, I'm. I, I myself, I'm one of those people who strongly believe in passion, and if you can find your passion and just find a way to make money out of it, it's it go- great. It's lottery ticket. But um, I also, I've also seen the other but side of it, where um, it, 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 that, that becomes an ever-evolving process, where you're, you're passionate about, a, about music or about, uh, about having a band or being a singer, and then later on, you evolve and you do something else, or you you find a different medium to express yourself. So, that's uh, I, I don't think what Shaya is saying, like that myth. It doesn't. I don't think it's a myth, but I think it's different with different people. But when I'm talking about, uh, and maybe I should clarify, when I'm saying they're lucky, I'm saying that it's it it's lucky to know that to know what I'm passionate about as you talk about let's not take anything away from any of these people this is thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of work you don't just become Ebrin you don't just certainly don't become uh, Faye Arjamandi and you don't become Chef uh, Zare without the, the kind of time that they've put into it but they love it they're not doing it. None of them are doing it just for the money or just for the fame or just for the. They're doing it because it's their passion and they're in in a field. And I, I'm sensitive to this because um, both in terms of going into non-traditional fields myself and and having family members and friends in the Iranian community who didn't feel like they could make that choice or maybe weren't strong enough or had parents who were too strong and, and couldn't go into the, the career they, they loved ended up you know, doing what was expected of them, which is fine, and they've got good lives, and they're, uh, and maybe they're happier than our artists would be, say. But, but in that context, these people are extraordinary to me. Yes, I got your point, and yeah, they they are lucky. Yes, they're also lucky to have the talent in the first place to be able to pursue that passion. 
So. Well, that talent, that's that's debatable. Because that's the thing. <laughs> no, 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 not you're, 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 not, you're, not, you're not saying they're not talented. So, but, but, yeah. but, I mean, I, I love art, but I by no means have the talent to I pursue 100% it. I 100% agree. But I think consistency and practice is more important than the talent itself. You can be very talented and you can be a naturally gifted artist or a, or a sketch artist or a painter. But if you don't practice enough, if you don't, if you don't put the hours in, you're not going to be half as good as somebody who's... As like Ibrin was saying, eight hours a day, he's in studio painting. I've I've also realized at the end of that interview when you asked him, "Be rook if it's about money, say it." And he said something that uh, sparked a very interesting question in my mind. And I thought, if 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 we all ask ourselves that question, it may help us find our passion eventually down the road. And that's if you have all the money in the world, you have everything. Money is not a problem at all. House, you have three houses. You've traveled the world five times. Mm -hmm. You have the best family. And anything that you financially and materialistically, anything that you ever desire. Everybody's taken care of. And you don't have to work. What would you do? Now that's the question. If we can find the answer to that question, then work backwards. Just try to figure out a way to make money out of that. Are, are you saying that if you had all the money in the world and three houses, you wouldn't be Captain Reza on Rook? Every day. <laughs> I'd be because here every day. I thought this was a labor of love. I thought this was passion for you. Can I just add something, though? That, uh, yes. Uh, it's not just that you should be going into engineering and a doctor and a lawyer. It's that having money and status and in, in material, material status mm -hmm. is important. I know that's dirty laundry. We're not supposed to talk about that. But it's not, you know, if if Ebreen, uh, poor Ebreen, we're just talking about, if, if an artist says, you know what, um, I don't care about money. Um, I'm just going to be uh, an artist and I'm going to, uh, you know, it may, I may end up living in a shack, right? I'm fine with that. I get to make my art. There's a, there's a double sin there. The first one is you're not going into the engineering and doctor, so we don't value your occupation. But the second one is Bichara. Look, he's living in a shack. I mean, this is honestly, what, is, what do his parents think? This is, I mean, that's, you know, that's, yes. that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectation. And oftentimes we've learned that we equate, we meaning the, the, the Persian community, I, obviously there's exceptions to this. Don't, I'm making generalizations, but we equate success or happiness with the person driving the nice car. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's disproportionately more found in our community than necessarily in some other communities. Uh, interesting conversation. Thank you again to Abreen for coming in uh, and thank you to our Rook Roundtable. Uh, Keon, I see you've got your computer in front of you. I that do. can only mean one thing, letters with Keon. got this week <laughs> i can't find it <laughs> you have the computer in front of you but i know thank you i was Keon. looking at something else what i was looking, looking at this my week? notes on ebrain which was like two lines i didn't have much to say because he didn't say much um okay <laughs> Okay, it's Evrin's fault. It is. It's yeah. all Evrin's <laughs> yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. No. The dog ate your letter. I'm homework. not in a good mood today. Right, I'm just right. <laughs> Why are you not in a good mood? I don't mood? know. I'm off. When I'm not. Are you in a, it's 40 mood. degrees outside. It's too hot. I'm just not myself this week. Nobody's I brain's heard working. Mercury's in retrograde. It is. Let's blame it on that. It Let's is. Let's blame it on that. I don't know. I'm just yep. not feeling. Blame you know. it on Mercury. Yeah. Right.
Okay. Is so, any of this helping you get the letters any faster? It's, so we it's can, here. Oh, it's right. been here for Thank the last you. 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay, so this week on episode 24, we had an interview with the entrepreneur and tech leader, Faye Arjumandi. She joined us to discuss disruption, determination, development, and a new invention for containing the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. So a few people wrote to us. We had a Farid Ameryun on Facebook wrote, an incredible woman with a fascinating journey. I'm now following the episodes on SoundCloud. Mm. Ooh, mm. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I've realized our SoundCloud numbers were... Our yeah. SoundCloud is yeah, increasing, yeah. Increasing, yeah. yeah. And followers. Totally unrelated to the... It has nothing to do with the Faye Arjumandi interview, I don't think, but... No, but Thank you for that, Farid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Contribute. Uh, we have username Speech Plan on YouTube wrote, I love the whole show. I'm happy that Gian is back. I used to listen to his talk show on CBC while I was driving to work in Toronto. Faye's life journey reminded me of the early days of working in a store in downtown Toronto, trying to, trying to get to know the culture and prove myself to the Canadian professional community. Working all holidays and fantasizing my world and giving myself hope that these days would pass, pass on, and they did. Great show. Nice. Who's that from? That's from Speech Plan. That's a Speech Plan. Yeah. Username Speech Plan. Thank you, Speech. They do have a plan. Right. Right. Um, We have Tarone Hajion on Facebook wrote, "Well done. I enjoy listening to Rook sometimes twice." Oh. That's, <laughs> thank you we have Ali Shorafa on Facebook wrote wonderful interview with Faye Arjumandi thank you Gian and Rook series it brought me back to good memories of listening to Q on CBC that's nice okay yeah thank so, you Ali so as well, uh, this week on episode 23, we had Chef Hoss Zare on the show joining us from San Francisco. So Chef Hoss, uh, he, he's the renowned and charming executive chef at Google. He spoke to us about his mission to bring the foundations and flair of Persian cuisine to the world. And yes. uh, he also talked about his flavor fascination as a kid in Iran, mastering the foodie world in San Francisco and pursuing a philosophy that Iranian cuisine can and should morph and move beyond strict traditional expectations. Yes. Yeah. So, the, yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with chi- like Chinese food is pretty westernized here now, right? Like. Yes. Uh, do we want that though? Do we want Persian, traditional Persian cuisine to be, you know, no, no, tampered no, but, but with? But that can also exist. Like we can't have a fusion Persian food or morph it in a way that would be even more appealing to like uh, somebody in the who was. Who was I think what he was saying is we shouldn't be too determinative about what our. We don't have to be. We don't have to put censorship. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to put parameters around what we expect our 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 food to be. That that we're that there's such an impulse. In, in Persian culture to say, no, the korma sabzi has to be made this way. And it was great to hear this executive chef, this acclaimed guy say, this can be elastic, you know, do what you do, whatever. And back to that, the Fayyar Jermandi, you know, make what you want. He, he's like, you know, when I said, can I put duje in the korma sabzi? He said, well, you're going to eat it. Put whatever you want in the korma sabzi. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's okay then, you know. Just don't put eggs in korma sabzi. I once went to a mehmuni and somebody actually put eggs in the korma sabzi. And, and I, I, wanted to, I wanted to cry. It was just Why, a tragic. Did, it didn't work for you. Eggs in Gormasabzi. I, I guess <laughs> that expression suggests that. no. Uh, I I know people who put shikar in, in Gormasabzi. Oh, that's yeah. new. Sugar Gormasabzi. There you go. I mean, to each their own. But. Talk about a twist. Yeah. 
Okay. So we had a lot of people write in uh, on that episode. We have a Bohara Panahi on Facebook wrote, I love this episode. Thanks and good luck to Hoss. I wish we had a great Persian cook or really good Persian style restaurant here in Calgary. Mm. Hmm. Mm. I haven't There's got to be. While, there's so. no Persian restaurants in Calgary? There's Come a on business Calgary. idea. Yeah, let us know. By the way, uh, Shia, I'm yes. very impressed with you that you haven't cut Kian off to say it's Hoss, not Hoss. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. He's he's it's going. Us? You see, you've you've cowed him. He's in a qu- he, here. He's pinching <laughs> He said to, he once told me to pronounce the Oz. Uh, anytime I see A as aw. Yeah, but so what about O's? How do I pronounce O's? <laughs> he has uh, no answer. <laughs> well, oh, actually, oh no, really. Hoss. Oh, oh, okay. okay. But I'll but but this. no. But in this case, it's Hoss. Hoss. <laughs> yeah. But I think in English, you know, do, do, you won't remember. There was a series mm. called Bonanza. You ever see that in reruns? No, it's an old Western series that was an American Western series with Lauren Green, a Canadian, mm. in the lead role. But one of the characters was Hoss. I oh. think there's a there's a name, oh. Hoss, which is H-O-S-S. So in the English, the uh, English way of uh, saying it, if English were your first language, you would know that Hoss uh, is... That's the way you say it. But given that you grew up I, in, I'm, oh wait, I'm, the United States. <laughs> you know what? Jim? Sorry, no, sorry, I, I, I imagine I'm, it as a shortened version of Hussein. So I'm like Hus. Oh, Hus. yeah, yes, that's how I'm yes, reading yes. it. That's so, you know. yeah. uh-huh. maybe it's maybe it is Hus. I said Hus all through that interview. But do you know Shia? Mm. <laughs> I know it's from Hussein, but I'm not sure. But he, but I think he, he. I think he'd rather to call him Hus. <laughs> I, I think. So. I mean, it's preference, right? Like sure. with me, it's Kian. Some people go by Kian. It's, it's all the same to right. me. So yeah, Hus, Hus, tomato, mm-hmm. tomato. Moving on, we have Sasan Imam on Facebook wrote, "Nice interview. I have no idea what the heck sardine polo oh, okay. is." Okay, <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been waiting for this because we had Faye Arjamandi on Monday and. <laughs> I said, let's let's not talk about it. Let's get to the next episode of the, with the with the roundtable because, of course, uh, Nilu, were you listening last week when we had this sardine polo? Oh, of course. When Shia <laughs> shocked the table by saying uh, he's a fan of sardine polo, uh, and none of us knew that w- what that was, and of course, all of us felt like that must mean because we're deficient <laughs> somehow. We don't know our culture. We don't know. Turns out, well, what does it turn out, Keon? It turns out that it does exist. No, it does not exist. Well, no. It does not exist is what it turns out. He mispronounced it. Actually, Chef Hoss wrote to us later on and said it's called Sardi Polo. Sardi. Not Sardine Polo. Sardi, yeah. (laughs) Actually, no, Sardi. Sardi. And he actually provides... Sardi Polo. Well, well, actually, Chef... Haas uh, uh, gave us a he explained on Facebook he responded because people were starting to joke about it and say what is this sardine polo which Shia you now know that you yeah, it yeah. was sardine yeah. did you did you talk to your mother before yeah. before Haas put the correct uh, that it was no, sardine no no no, no, no 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 so you already knew it was sardine by that but then Haas put puts the recipe up mm-hmm. uh, and we'll share that on our on our Facebook 
on our Rook Facebook, and it's on my Facebook as well. So uh, do, do you have the, the Haas's, what, the breakdown of what he said uh, it was? He just sent a link of the recipe. Would you like me to go through every Well, I just thought maybe item. you would tell us what it is. Well, It's carrots. It's, it's, it's vegetables on rice. There's no right? sardines in it. That's there's the no most sardines. important part. That's yeah. the thing, yeah. It's okay, guys. I'm going to say something to make you all feel better. One time we were in a party and someone was talking about this, um, essentially, uh, this rice that we make. It's called uh, mora sapolo. And I knew what it was and I came out with like full confidence. I was like, Are, I know what it is. It's mozaffar polo. And then everyone turned around and they're like, mozaffar polo. And then later on, I had to clear that up. And they're like, You're, what are you talking about? Mozaffar polo. Right. Now I bet you any money. Two days from now, somebody on Facebook or Twitter is going to be like, no, there is Mozaffar for <laughs> 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 was right. Stop laughing. It's all, right. all how you pronounce Thank it. Thank you, uh, Keon. So yeah, we have, so, uh, so Chef Haas did respond. He so he shared the, the, the recipe for Sardi Polo. He found that. Yes. And we'll put that on our on our Facebook, on our Rook Facebook. Uh, yes. What is it? Rook Media, at Rook Media, right? Do we have oh, a deal? Yeah, yeah, I was waiting for you to stop talking so I can move on. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. I've, I've stopped. <laughs> well, moving on, we have Ali Khalili on YouTube wrote, It was a very insightful conversation. I was always wondering why most Persian restaurants we see in Europe lack enough creativity and flexibility in serving our delicious food. We would definitely need more training on Persian culinary art for Iranian restaurant holders abroad. By the way, I have never heard of sardine polo. Are you sure it exists? <laughs> I had heard of Chehel uh, Tike and uh, Kola Cap. Right. The other controversial <laughs> statements that Shaya right. made in other episodes. Um, and then we have Reza Ayn on YouTube wrote, great interview. Thank you. But please, please, please. What is sardine polo? Right. I can't right. we, find anything. It. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. get the okay. Um, oh, and look at that. We have the letter of the week. The letter of the week. Letter of the week. Right. Cool. This uh, letter of the week goes to Ali Reza Asghari on YouTube. And Asghari. This, Asghari. Oh, my God. Will I ever <laughs> Am I get right? right? I'm right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I need to go back to Farsi class <laughs> at this point. I was just about to. It's just, was just shameful. Ali Asghari says what? Ali, Ali Reza Asghari. Okay, this, this lovely gentleman took the time to write out 31 different vegetarian recipes. So he wow. said, here are some of the Iranian vegetarian foods. I'm not going to list them all. But So the background on this is yeah. that uh, Chef Haas, as the executive yeah. chef at Google, mm -hmm. has to make vegetarian versions of everything he makes. Uh, and we had that sort of debate last week about whether um, it's still Persian food if, it's, if it doesn't have meat in it. You strenuously uh, made the case, uh, uh, Keon, that it, you believe that the meat has to be in it. I mean, for me. But there are many who uh, um, desire and, and devour vegetarian Iranian dishes. And we were saying, well, is there a lot of Iranian? So I guess Apparently Ali Reza asked Thirty one, 31, and I'm sure more. So he's listed them? He's listed them. I, I mean, I, there's leek soup, ash reshte, ash balg. I wonder if he has like a shomari background because I don't know if you guys know I mean my grandparents on my mother's side they're they were from Rasht and the shomal of Iran north of Iran has predominantly vegetarian foods Mm. And I've been in conversations and parties where people are like, oh, Ghazai Irani, like, what is it? It's just like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? We have like 
dozens of dishes and they're so exotic and they're with eggs and um, eggplants and lots of vegetables. And oh. an egg egg in the korma sabzi. Oh, that's probably that. where that lady was from. <laughs> Whoever put from egg in the korma sabzi. <laughs> you're you're hurting Kion For with your shame. words. Kion, can you list some of the other things that sure. Ali Ali Reza Asghari has? Ashajo, Oh yeah, yeah, Ashajo. Yeah. Kashka Bonim John, Kuku Sib Zamini, Kuku Sabzi, Eshkine Kalagush. So, 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 really, so far, he's. Yeah, So far, he said Ash and Kuku. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's two. Different variations of Ash and Kuku. Alas Polo. Yeah, there's a ton of them. Mirza Ghassami. Mirza Ghassami. Yeah, that's on there. Kal Kabob. Yeah, those yeah. are shamali. Can kabob with shamali. Wow. What's, yeah. what's going on in Shamal that there's a lot of vegetarian uh, dishes, I wonder? You know what? Uh, uh, to be honest with you, I think it's just like agriculture. They have mm. lots of vegetables. And that makes sense. They, like, they love other, like, their herbs, eggplants, garlic. Mm. And as a meat lover, I'm totally like with you on that. But like shamali food just makes you not want meat. But I believe there's a restaurant in Toronto called Shamal that yeah. serves... Kabob, Gorm Sabzi, and Rebe. The Kabob Torsh. It's just the <laughs> face favorite. of their, it's just the face of what they're called. It's it's predominantly Kabob Torsh and like mm. Chole Kabob, but they do have some Shamali food yes. and it is good. Um, all right. Thank you to Ali, As- Ali Reza Asghari for the letter of the week. Thanks to everybody for writing in. Thanks to the, you guys supporting us uh, and continuing to listen to this show. Thank you for this conversation, you guys. Uh, the uh, I didn't, It's the inaugural Rook Roundtable. You know, I just kind of snuck it in there, but this may, you know, may turn into a thing. Captain Reza, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Groovy Shia. Keon. I still don't have a name for you. I just have Keon. What do you mean? That well, is my name. I know that, time, but I need a I moniker. I that than you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, that's also your name. That is my name. Yeah. I need a moniker. The fabulous Keon, oh, Princess no, no, Keon, no. Uh, the outstanding Keon, the notorious Keon. Oh, I don't God. know. You know I'm something, gonna, right? I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nilfar, thank you so much for joining us this week. Really thank appreciate you, it. Nilfar Qurashi. Mm-hmm. It, it almost sounds like your last name only. It does. You mix it. You mix a couple of consonants, and you're right there. Uh, she writes for the Persian Canadian Digi- Digital Magazine at Titra. Check that out. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to Rook this week. Thank you to our whole team uh, who helped us put this together. And uh, we're going to go on some music that sounds like. Oh, you're right on it, Chaya. Good job. <laughs> A little bit of Ebi. Ebrin? Ebi? How do you like that? Kelasin Naqoshi is the song, which of course fits with Ebrin. Uh, art class from 1992. Lyrics by Shahriar Kambari and music by Farid Zoland. Let's go out on Ebi. Thanks again for listening. Mizumboshi. <laughs> مثل شما با این سر و شکل لباس قبه نور ما سبکتر از حواس خرشید خانون رحاتر از من و شما خرشید خانون رحاتر از من و شما هر که میخواد Oh, she's
Oh 